iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti with all the latest from a stunning weekend in the Barclays Premier League. And this week, joining me, it's Alison Rudd, it's Tony Cascarino, and from a pace we like to call George's gaff, it's George Culkin. And just when I thought we were going to be all about the football in the Barclays Premier League, the FA went and dropped a Roy Hodgson-sized bomb on proceedings. But we'll be analyzing that later. In fact, first, let's start with some football. Let's start with Wigan and Newcastle United, even though, George, I believe you're actually at the Sunderland game. I think you're competent enough to tell us how it's possible that just when Newcastle wins six games in a row and we're all saying it's brilliant, they go and they get their rear ends handed to them by Wigan. Wigan! Um, yeah, they, well, Wigan were brilliant, first of all. I've, I've watched the match on, uh, on tape. and uh, On tape? On, how on, cool. on, on how tape. 1993 of you? I live in the 1980s, Gab, as I'm sure you know. Um, and um, no, and they, I mean, they were superb. I mean, it has to be said, they were absolutely superb from first to last. And Newcastle, um, you know, amazingly, it's the same team that they played against Stoke the weekend before. They're absolutely outstanding against Stoke. Um, and too many of their players hadn't had an off day. Um, it's, you know, sort of quite ironic, really. They had such great publicity last week. Um, everybody talking about the Champions League and then they come a cropper at Wigan. It's really one of the first times this season that we've sort of said that that's a kind of typical Newcastle moment. Um, they have been absolutely outstanding, um, and but they've now got you know they've now got a very difficult task if they're going to get into the Champions League. Um, they're up against Chelsea this week, then Man City, and then finally they end the end the season with a game at Everton. So it's going to be tough for them, but um, you know they're guaranteed of six six at worst and a place in the Europa League, which is just um, you know a really brilliant achievement by by Alan Pardew and his players. Cass, um Roberto Martinez was, was sort of like the, the, the sophisticated choice and like hasn't he done well and he's elegant and whatever and he's messed around with different formations this year but he seems to kind of have it with this 3-4-2-1 which is a bit unusual because his wingbacks are not particularly attacking wingbacks. In fact, their job seems to be mostly to stop the opposition from getting much width. Mm-hmm. There's always a spare guy at the back. And he's got these two guys, you know, I guess it was Moses and, and Maloney recently floating mm-hmm. behind a striker who previously was known for the fact that he'd gone about seven years without scoring. Um, is, there, is there an element to the fact, that, especially in this game, that because it's a 
weirdo formation that nobody's used to playing against, um, maybe teams should adjust to it more or, or actually figure out how to exploit it. Is that something you can you can throw at Newcastle or or? You're going to have to. Is this to. something that's going to be, that can be replicated? Well, I, I'll tell you what, you're going to have to adapt to it because if you don't, they're going to roll over more teams because what I saw in the first half was as good a 45 minutes I've seen from nearly any team this season. They were sensational. And the movement, and you, you were talking, Gab, about you know three, four, whatever, one, two, or whatever formation you go for. But what was so evident from Wigan that everybody knew what they were meant to be doing and people like Maloney were getting on the ball, they were getting their heads up, a guy that's been in and out for most of his career, you know, as a player. And he's not that good. Uh, it, well, he, he was Saturday and he has been in yeah. recent weeks. But also, where did the Wigan team go that was so vulnerable defensively, that gave goals away at the start of the season like you wouldn't believe? They've conceded 30, uh, 12 goals in the last 13 games. That's amazing. For a team that was so free... Um, Tip for free scoring for the opposition because they could just get goals at will against them. And I, I just what I was shocked about how good they were defensively, how good the movement was, how good one touch football they played, and every individual player. And you mentioned DeSanto as well. I mean, his goal. You wouldn't have dreamt that he could get a tap in from five yards, and now he's chipping Tim Quill from, from from twenty yards, and everyone was full of confidence, and and that's come from winning games and outplaying some of the best teams in the Premiership, and they certainly blew Newcastle away. It was an amazing performance. But they, they we can enjoy this stage of the season. It's. The, 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 it's, they're like another club. The, the yes, support, the support this weekend was lo- nothing like the support you get at the start of the season. It, it, it was, the it crowds was are low. You need the music after the goal to create, to create an atmosphere. But come the business end, as people yeah. call it, suddenly the the, the, the the town becomes passionate. The team, uh, fu- they know they're capable of coping with the pressure of potential relegation. And it's, it's not the first time. Last season they started playing nice football right at the very end as well. Well, it was, it was not only nice, I'll say good, it was great to watch, but it was also so effective. Because Newcastle, as George alluded to earlier, that they were just absolutely blown away. Newcastle are a decent side. You know, Alan Pardew is going to get in Monday morning and think, well, we've got to put this to bed and just move on and get on with our next game because what I saw was what he wouldn't have seen many teams do to his side in the first 45 minutes. What, what I love about Wigan, and it's just, I mean, obviously, Martinez was at, was at Swansea as well. It's almost like the club... Has a has a culture. It's you know it's, it's it's kind of like a mini Barcelona in that sense. I don't mean just in the style of football they play, but that's a big part of it. Is that you know when players come in, they're coming to they're they're brought in to play in that system and in that style. And Martinez has stuck to that all the way through. I mean you know Swansea stick to that. That's that's endured change of managers and Wigan do the same thing. I mean when it goes well, they play absolutely beautiful football. I mean it's it's. It's remarkable to think that they didn't get their second win in the Premier League until right at the very end of November. And here they are. They've given themselves a chance. They've beaten some amazing teams. But, but George, I want to be Mr. Pedantic here, as is my want, uh, on this point. When we talk about, you know, you just mentioned that they bring people in to play in that kind of style. Philosophy, I suppose, is the word. I should well, use. but but you know this idea that like certain managers and pundits always come up with, and like, well, you know, we'd play one touch football if, if we had the players, but you know, we don't have a hundred million to spend. I look at this, and frankly, you know, Emerson Boyce 
your buddy Gary Caldwell, who I believe was was up in the Northeast years yeah, ago. Yeah. I mean, these are guys who certainly the image. I mean, the image I have of Gary Caldwell is big British lump of a center half, and yet he fits into this system. Or certainly that's the image I had of him when before he you know b- yeah. before he came and worked with and worked with Martinez. Um, MacArthur is is another one. The first time I mean McCarthy we always saw was 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 skillful, but but MacArthur to me looked like you know sort of hacker running around catamole type um, and yet this kind of shows that if you have a manager who has faith in you and kind of wants you to play in this way that most players yes, can, can, I'm, can, can I'm, do I'm, that I, sorry I didn't mean I didn't mean he only buys players um, who you know who, who are viewed as that kind of player what I mean is um, is that the club has a f- philosophy and that everybody that comes into the club is asked to join in with that philosophy or asked to share that and obviously that's a lot to do with how good you are as a manager being able to, to do that with your players spotting something that maybe other people haven't seen but but what I'm I think what I'm trying to say is is that I admire the fact that if you talk in general terms about Wigan or in Swansea, we know how they play. We know, and that's something that's, that endures. There's an identity season upon exactly. There's, a, there's, a, there's an identity that endures season upon season, and he's stuck to it. He's stuck to it relentlessly. But doesn't this mean that we spoke about this on the podcast a few weeks ago? That Martinez now has to stay because if, it, if this is all about sticking to a, a philosophy mm. and having a long-term project. And, you know, you look at the, the results, it was lost, 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 and he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He didn't say, right, let's just let's just change what we're doing. Let's just, you know, damage limitation. Let's see if we can get out of this. He, he, he was, re- Martinez was remarkable in how he kept calm. So now, it's all, everyone's raving about how beautiful they're playing. It wasn't just, it wasn't just against Newcastle. They've been playing really, yeah. really attractive football for a, f- for a few weeks now. Doesn't he have to... Does, do, do people agree? I think he has to stay. I think he has to prove that he can now do it and they can finish top half. I don't think he? he has to prove anything to no. anybody. I to think himself, he should go to and, himself. To himself. I don't think he needs to do that either. I think he needs the, the next good, sexy job that's offered to him. I think he should move on. I think well, he served he was, his time as well. Oh. He's done it. I know he turned down Villa last yeah. year, but he is a manager, right? I mean, he oh, you know, I think it's so tempting to try and, and do and it. And also, Wigan. and can I also say that his boss, Dave Whelan, remember when he brilliant. threw that, that, what? He's been brilliant with him. Oh, you think so? Remember oh, when he threw that hissy yeah. fit where he's when when he went public on the radio? He's like, I demand to know why. Um, I forget who the three guys were. Why why they, they didn't start this weekend and stuff like that? You think Dave Whelan's brilliant? Oh, I think he's been brilliant with the handling of it. Yeah, because holy gab, you can't say a chairman as a as a, sometimes can be very opinionated, as we know, and and they will go, but but they deal with it. He didn't sack him. He dealt with it and he went public and he had also probably spoken to Martinez before before he went public. And sometimes chairman... No, everyone in this country thinks that if a chairman speaks out, it's the end of the road for the manager. I have a problem with the chairman speaking out, but in this culture, um, in, in the culture you have, you have here, um, it is unusual for a chairman to come out in yeah. public and speak about a manager and uh, he's also and praised him to the hilt in many interviews he's said about how great a manager Martinez is over the last few years so he's, he's, he said he's been saying over the weekend again that he's the best manager in best manager in Europe I mean I don't, I don't have a problem necessarily with intervention from upstairs in order to kind of galvanise people or shake things up a bit I mean I, I agree with Tony though I mean not you know not every not every chairman not every board would would allow their team to lose nine games on the spin and, and, and stick with the manager and then go through another spell of five or six games without without a win as well but I mean Whelan's done that now this season and last and you know I think he deserves I think he does deserve some credit for that I mean he does have a high 
um, you know, public persona, which doesn't always kind of sit comfortably. But um, when it comes to the things that matter, he's stuck, he's stuck with Martinez. I, I feel like we've spoken more about Wigan on this podcast than we have all season. But just one final, final thing on this. When we look at the, because we always talk about, you know, do you have the players for it? Do you have the system? Is it the manager? Mm-hmm. I look at this and I look at, ask myself how many Wigan players could play for a top 10 side. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at, at, at this lineup, I've come up with three um, Figueroa, um, McCarthy, maybe in a year or two, and, um, and Moses, if he keeps it up. Is, anybody, is there anybody really, really good who plays for Wigan that I've missed out? El Habsi. With the goalkeeper from Oman, he's very good keeper. Yeah, I know, I know. I was, I was joking there. Yeah. Um, um, no, I, I think Gab, as you were talking before that, I was thinking how many players would you value at five million for Wigan? Alcaraz. It's it it, it, it is remarkable. Moses, I mean, he'd gone nowhere since his move from Crystal Palace to Wigan. Yeah. He, he achieved very little and very few goals. And this year, or especially in the last few weeks, he's shown his real qualities. All right, enough Wigan for the season. Uh, let's move on to Chelsea and QPR, thereby restoring our London bias. Because as you know, I think it was it was it last week that we didn't uh, we didn't deal with a single uh, Southern club. Um, Why couldn't I have been on last week? What? <laughs> This is a good point. This is a good point. Well, let's start with you, actually, uh, George. Fernando Torres gets a hat trick. Uh, I know that that you've been incredibly preoccupied with the Fernando Torres issue. Um, So please tell us, is he back? Well, I mean, if I say yes now, then I'm I'm, I'm too late. I mean, it's just like everyone... <laughs> That's since, the idea. Since, since, since the first game that he stopped scoring, everyone has said, or not everyone, but people have been try, trying to be the first person to say, ah, oh, we, we spy signs of him being back. But um, it was great. It was great. Look, it was just great watching the game yesterday and being reminded about what a great finisher he is and, and what a good centre forward he is. I'm kind of pleased. I mean, it's been... It's, you know, from a completely neutral point of view, watching from afar, it's it's been painful to watch him sometimes um, and having watched the Champions League game in in midweek you know you could just see what a huge personal professional lift relief and relief that was for him and um, you sort of just see you know you see the confidence and form flow back into him it's quite it's quite remarkable really I mean you the longer it the drought went on the more difficult it was I think to you know to, to see it coming back because it just felt it felt unsustainable, but um, you know it was a pleasure to see him. Pleasure to see him playing like that yesterday, and then you know to, to even have a whisper of a smile on his face. Really, um, really good because um, you know he showed it. Show, he showed at Liverpool he can be a joyous footballer. And you notice how I asked you about Torres and not the two biased Liverpool fans uh, in the studio here. Biased Liverpool fans, do you want to weigh in on Torres? Yeah, please, thanks. No, I think that, I think it's a hugely ironic situation that most most of his time at Chelsea, Torres has had quite a lot of praise for being a good team player and for opening up the game for his teammates. He may have been lacking confidence as a striker, but his work rate was good and it was improving. And uh, he, he was actually... Uh, playing well in that sense and his the goal that's turned it around for him came at the new Camp because he was playing really really badly and he was way up the pitch and he should have been helping out defensively he was he was he was all over the place it was probably his worst performance in terms of helping the team out gives him a chance to have nobody near him so he just about rounds a very very poor keeper to score a goal but he scored a goal in the new Camp everyone he's a headline man and that not his great 
footballing skills pre in the previous eight months, but that is what gives him the confidence to then become the striker again. I think it's hugely ironic. Well, Cass, I, just to wrap up towards, I, I, he's had three different managers um, mm. at Chelsea. I know for a fact that every single one of them is surprised that he hasn't gone and complained to the press or planted stories via his uh, via his friends, etc., about not getting enough playing time. Mm. That, that in fact he's, he's just shut up, except for the fact that he's played badly. Obviously, he wants to do more. I'm wondering, are you surprised? But how unusual is it? I mean, having been obviously a striker and mm. professional yourself, and I'm assuming there were times when you played badly and didn't get enough uh, as much playing time. <laughs> Have you ever? Is is it difficult to? Is it even praiseworthy that mm. you know that, that he didn't complain about it since he is getting paid all this money, or or or, or is it actually something that we should take as a given? Um, well, from my personal experience, is that the reason when I went through some droughts and I had a few and I had some I had a dreaded one in Scotland for playing for Celtic um, I never went to the media or never really spoke out against you know what other people weren't doing it's probably because I was more critical of myself than anybody so I took up my own shoulders that I was the, the real main problem and I'd like to think Fernando Torres is not a typical stereotype footballer that we all assume is just all about their own ego and about how brilliant they can be of everything else is working for him I think he's he's had to reflect on himself and he's been of anyone who's watched him and we all have over the last what six, seven years he's a talented guy that has fallen way short of what his standards should be because we know he can finish we know he's got a turn of foot he's got ability more than most centre forwards in the Premiership and yet he's fallen way below them standards I, I actually personally felt that when Spain won the Euros I thought he was suffering then the way he played with David Villa he never he got left out of the team he never looked quite right and I think it's took, taken him a long time uh, and reflect on in his own game to get him back. Is he back? He's going to have to do it over a course of a season. It's not just the last few weeks. He's going to still take a lot, lot more. But he did, he did whinge, Gab. He did whinge. He did say that the Chelsea team were too old and he wasn't getting yeah, there was uh, one, that, that, enough people I passing to him. That was the one interview where then later he came out with this whole thing that it was misquoted and twisted. And so Chelsea's pass office said, oh, that never happened. You're just imagining it. Nothing to see here and so on. But I mean, beyond that, Certainly, people thought in the dressing room it would be more, he would be more of an issue because, you know, he is the big star and who eventually got dumped to the, to the bench. Um, I want to ask about John Terry here. Um, he issued an apology in the, um, I know, I know, we're all smiling and so on, but he issued an apology for getting sent off in the, in the Chelsea program. Um, George, assuming this was John Terry's idea, and let's face it, we can't have it both ways. We can't, on the one hand, all giggle at Chelsea, like, look, look, John Terry runs the club, and then at the same time say, oh, no, look, the club made him do it. Are you impressed with the fact that he comes out and, and apologizes for getting himself sent off and potentially costing Chelsea a place in the final? Um, Is it big of a footballer to go and do that so publicly? And then, of course, you apologize after scoring as well. I'm reluctant to say anything nice about John Terry. Oh, there you go. Is there anybody here prepared to say anything nice about John Terry? Allison, can you give the man some credit for, uh, for, for asking forgiveness? Okay. Or if, not? If this big apology means he, he changes the person he is and he doesn't insist on lifting the trophy should they win it in the Alliance, and if he should clean up his act and try to be a more honourable person, then then great, fantastic, but I doubt it very much. 
look, I mean, let's 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 be rigorously fair. He did he did the apology in the program. He scored a goal after scoring his goal against QPR. He kind of you know it was like an apology of a goal celebration in some ways. And you know he played well in the team performance um, a few days after what must be the you know arguably one of the two or three biggest disappointments of his career. So give it, I'll give him some credit for that. Thank you, George. You see reasonable people from the Northeast. Um, about somebody, something not reasonable, which is QPR's performance. Wow. I, I'm trying to remember a team going out there and being so bad. It's like they were frozen. Or you I, probably remember. I one. know a team this weekend that were worse than QPR away Much from home. Blackburn. Much worse they were, yeah. Yeah, but we're not. <laughs> but we're, I didn't concede six, but wow. Okay, but let's talk QPR rather okay. than Blackburn, since Blackburn are managed by Steve Keen. You remember a team, and I've okay, just said this is true. This is true, but I would argue that QPR have uh, uh, have rather more resources, and uh, mm. certainly a manager of whom we expect a lot more mm. than um, you know the Steve Keen whose drink gets spiked. Um, well, what happened? I, I, I presume, like, I mean, and take us there. Have you have you seen have you seen their record though? I mean, like, I, mean I I saw them. It's um, wins and losses, wins and losses, isn't it? Yeah, away away from home. They they uh, you know in the last. Yeah, but QPR, couple, couple going, months, Stamford they, Bridge isn't very far away from home. No, I know, but it, I mean, it looks like more than a coincidence. You know, they lose at Bolton, they win at home to Liverpool, they lose to Sunderland. I saw that game; they were absolutely dreadful. They then beat Arsenal. They lose at Man U. Fair enough. They then beat Swansea. I mean, this. This, the, the QPR game, uh, sorry, the Chelsea game comes after they've just beaten Tottenham at home, and um, and yet you know yesterday there's you know I watched the game and there's just nothing there, absolutely nothing, no fight, no spirit, no interest, no impetus, no um, you know no no sort of sense of what they're you know of of, of what they're up against. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know the day before I saw saw Bolton at Sunderland, and they're making a real fist of it. It's it's almost. You know, it's almost inexplicable the way their their performances and results are sort of diverging home home and away. You say it's almost inexplicable. I bet Cascarino has a theory. No, well, the theory is that, I mean, what a great opportunity for QPR to go and play at Chelsea after the Champions League. The games they've had, they've played Tottenham in the, the semi-final of the Cup. They've had Barcelona twice. You'd think that we've had the week off. We can absolutely prepare brilliantly for our West London derby rivals and we can try and make a game of it. And they just... Mark Hughes, wherever he, you know, that he takes them down or, or stays up, there'll be a lot of players gone from that football club. I mean, Gabriel Sissé could score in a goal when they were 6-1... <laughs> Or six nil down, or and he's celebrating like as if it, you know you just typified the ego stereotype we was we was talking about earlier. That to me, I just couldn't get it. And QPR were just, I didn't see any anything from Joey Barton, from Gabriel Sisse, well, Bobby Barton, Zamora was poor. Uh, well, Joe, one ex pro has been critical of Barton. I don't care. I don't care. Glassman Holland. I don't care. Joey Barton looked like he was playing with slippers on because he didn't. He, he really did not make. Hey, Joey, I'm disassociating myself from this. Man, okay. Just, just note that it's only Cascarino feels this way. Nobody another, else. Another theory uh, is, I think, I think. At QPR, they've they've overstressed how important their home form is going to be in the in the run in towards escaping relegation. And you start if you say. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts. Calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Often enough, you start believing it. I don't think... I think they, they go out at home thinking they're in with a chance because they're at home. And when they go away, they think, well, it's all right, we're going to rely on our home form. They, they don't seem to think that it's a complete campaign. It's ridiculous. Mm. Um, on the, uh, just, just to wrap up QPR, uh, anybody want to give me percentage chance that they stay up, Cascarino? Well, like we touched on earlier, they could probably go and beat Stoke at home and give them a, a fighting chance. So what percentage chance they stay up? After what I saw this weekend, probably 30, 35%. Alison? Yeah, sounds about right. George? Well, um, percentages, 18.6 recurring. I mean, I think think they will beat Stoke because I think that's just the way they've been. And then they're at Man City on the last day and I can't see them getting anything there. So it just depends on... On, on everybody else's results, but I would—I mean, I wouldn't put—I wouldn't put any money on them. That's for certain. Well, there you go. A lot of love for Bolton here. Then uh, 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 coming out by, by your answers, but um, Skinner's asked us since uh, Chelsea are playing Newcastle on Wednesday to uh, uh, to make some predictions. Uh, let's not make predictions. Let's. Ins- Ted try to hypothesize about how the game will go, which essentially is making predictions, but in a more um, saying this, expressing the same concept in a more pretentious way. Allison, <laughs> um, Chelsea have obviously they've got to rotate a lot. They'll be thinking about Liverpool and the FA Cup at the weekend. Um, they rotated well, that's this the week. Question. That's the question. What is what is the more important game for Chelsea? Is it the FA Cup final or is it is it getting that for a chance to get that fourth spot? I suspect. I suspect that the club believe it's more important to finish fourth actually and so I don't think there'll be massive um, new names coming through people off the bench I think I see Sam Hutchinson starting for example for Chelsea I think they'll play a a strong team um, thinking beyond thinking beyond the FA Cup final and I think Chelsea will win Getting and Chelsea have such a big squad and frankly there isn't I mean, apart from Mata, perhaps, and, and one or two others, it's not like there's a huge drop-off when, uh, when, when somebody else comes in. Well, I, I tell you what's pretty obvious, and it's happened year in, year out for a number of years, that team selection and supposedly your, your second-string striker, midfield or whatever, they come in, they do jobs, and a lot of times they get results. And like was proved yesterday with Chelsea getting six you know, against QPR, and a lot of them players haven't played. People like Sturridge come in, done a job, got a goal, you know, and... Uh, and that that often proves the way that second team players or supposedly can come in and absolutely keep you to a level and sometimes even better. Um, George, uh, Pardew doesn't really rotate much because he doesn't have the giant squad. So 
how do you see this? How do you see this approach? I mean, is it, is it as simple as telling his guys, "Hey, you want to play in the Champions League next year? Get a result at Stamford Bridge." Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, and the the strength of their position, if, if that's what you want to call it, is that they, you know, they they've already got sixth place at worst. They've already got the Europa League, so they can afford to just go out and you know they can afford to go out and really attack it. That's the word that he uses. Um, you know, they can't be taken over in that in that sense. So I think they have to, you know, I think they have to go for it. One of the one of the strengths this season is that by and large when they've had a disappointment they've bounced back from it pretty, pretty effectively um, you know I don't think I don't think many people will give them a chance of going to Stamford Bridge and getting getting something but why can't they sneak a draw there you go what, what, what I'm fascinated by um, is going to be as we said, this this rotation and how Team Matteo plays it, because logic suggests that if it's one game on, one game off, then these same guys who played QPR will take on Liverpool in the FA Cup final, and and the for lack of a better word, you know, starters will uh, will play Newcastle on Wednesday night. All right, time now for our debate. Now, uh, our producer Chris Skinner and I had an entirely different uh, idea to debate this week, but of course, once again. Uh, the FA have ruined it for us uh, by making the announcement that uh, um, West Brom have given them permission to speak to Roy Hodgson and um, leaking the news that they're interviewing Roy Hodgson on Monday. Um, I want to take a step back perhaps here and kind of state the obvious that does anybody believe that since uh, the departure of Fabio Capello, they've just kind of sat there and waited for permission to speak to Roy Hodgson? Oh. No, um, but, I mean, I would give them... Um, I mean, I'm try, I try and, trying not to be too cynical about this, thing, about this, is, you know, maybe they've waited to see how things pan out at, um, you know, at all the various clubs, trying their best not to disrupt club seasons. Now, I know people would then laugh about what's happened at Tottenham, perhaps, over the last few weeks, but... You know, West Brom are now in a secure position. Um, they're not going to get caught up in relegation. They're in mid-table. So, looking at it, you know, looking at it um, charitably, perhaps that's what they've that's what they've been thinking. That, that implies, by definition, the FA could only ever appoint a mediocre a manager of a mediocre team because if you want to appoint someone by now as opposed to when the season is completely over, you, you can't appoint somebody who's successful. <laughs> yeah, but you don't. I mean, they're not always looking for a manager in the middle of a season, are they? But... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't see. I mean, I don't see it as a sort of as a huge surprise. It's not like it's not you know when they announced it. It's not like you're sort of choking on your supper last night. I'd, Roy, well, maybe Harry Redknapp was. Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. I mean, the, the indication we have is that he's you know the, the, that he was he was quite quite upset by this, or yeah. certainly surprised, and not in a positive way. Um, I guess we're going to get to Hodgson, but I'm sorry, I, I still need to start. I still need to beat the FA with a stick a little bit, a little bit longer, because it's still unconscionable to me that you know your previous manager would depart. So it was, was it been like two and a half months ago, and for two and a half months, if we are to believe them, they haven't spoken to anybody about the job. They say that he's the only manager that they've uh, that they've talked to, which means to me they haven't even talked to Harry Redknapp. Now, in the real world, we assume that this is not mm-hmm. the case because if it is, then it would mean that they really are a freak show. Um, I think they. What's probably happened, Gab, is that there's been lots of meetings about potential candidates, and I think there's probably a lot of disagreement in 
the meetings but to do with the FA on the committee. Um, Between who? Like Alex Hoyne and, well, and, and his master? Well, there's there, well, how many of them? Are, I don't know how many. How many numbers are there? What, the FA board, you mean? Well, I'm, I'm sure uh, across the board, or everybody involved would have had, you know, they would have had meetings about potential candidates and then they decide Why didn't there. they figure out who they wanted before they sacked Capella? I think there was a lot of uncertainty, Gab. I think there's a real, and I think that's been typified by the the wait, the two and a half month wait, and then everybody assumed it was Harry, and yet the, from Harry to the FA, there was not really much coming back. There's obviously a lot of major issues, which I I think deep down, I think there's a lot of obvious ones. You know, the way that the FA are wanting to move, they've spent eighty five million pound on St George's Park in Burton, and they want a guy that can can not only be the England manager, but can be on the technical side from you know developing that and playing a big part in that. I, I think there was a lot. Lots and lots of issues to do with the. Yeah, no, they, well, they, they are peddling that line that obviously Roy Hodgson lives in the Midlands or, or, or is, is happy to live in the Midlands, whereas Harry insists on living in Sandbank. So that that's one of the factors that makes Roy more more attractive, Alison. And since we're moving on to this, I've heard a lot of people talk about well, he has international experience with Finland and Switzerland. Um, does international experience actually? matter when considering a job like the England job? Well, if you're planning... Because um, obviously most managers won't in history won't have international experience before. Yeah. Well, you see, the pro- problem is the FA is all tied up with, with red tape and blazers and committees. And what they should have done when they fell out with Capello, it wasn't a straightforward sacking. Capello didn't like what the FA done to him and they didn't like the way he reacted it was it was a breakdown so they it was a, but it was a breakdown i think Capello was happy to go in that in that in that instance mm, i don't think so well but. well he, he, what was his choice anyway at that point what the FA should have done and they are incapable they are they are organically incapable of doing what they should have done was say immediately Harry, your country needs you. We're not going to we're not going to muck about with Spurs or anything. We just want you to say, come the Euros, you'll take charge. Just short term. We think you're a fantastic. The players love you. You're a great man manager. Uh, just do it. For, just do it for your country for this one tournament. And Harry would have said, all right. And no one, there wouldn't have been any contract problems with Spurs. It would have been uh, just having the summer to do it. And it so would have been words, fine. And Spurs, then, and sorry, then... Sorry, Gerson, just to clarify what you're saying. So in other words, you're not signing Harry long-term. You're basically asking Spurs for permission to, quote-unquote, borrow Harry for the duration of the of the tournament. Obviously, pay Harry some money. A little bit like what, what's happened in the past, like what Scotland did, I think, with, uh, with Sir Alex yeah. in 1986. That's what you're suggesting. Exactly what they should have done. Because there's no point now going through the let's think long term about what the new uh, uh, St George's Park means about long term planning means the immediate point is the Euros and then you then you then you start thinking about the long term planning and then Roy becomes a realistic option because he he fits in very nicely with the FA and they'll be able to work it'll be a workable relationship but the way it's evolved, it's a joke because they've, they've because they've ignored, they've allowed everyone to assume that Harry's getting the job. They've allowed players to tweet that they want him. They've allowed the newspapers to say what a great man manager he'll be. They've allowed that to happen. Not said a word. Everyone's they they seem to think they should get praise for being very quiet. It's the opposite. They've allowed a situation to uh, where bookies stop taking money on Harry, and then they come out with Roy, and that undermines Roy who's a very nice chap, by the way, but it undermines him completely because, you know, most average football fans will think he's, he's, he's second choice. Why is he there? And that's not how you start your, 
your new job as England uh, manager? I mean, I, I, I agree, actually, with a, lot, with a lot of that. But if you look at it from the FA's perspective, say, for example, they'd gone for red map short term. England do better than we anticipate at the Euros. Say they get to their quarters, the semi-finals, but they play good football. Everything's on a high. And then there's a kind of a huge... Um, you know, clamour for Redknapp for Redknapp to stay on. It'd be very difficult for them at that point to go for somebody else. And I think you know, both of you you mentioned this and George. Well, sorry, 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 George. But it would also be very difficult for Redknapp to walk away. I mean, yeah. if, if that yeah. scenario but, happens, but you, that's to, when you negotiate with yeah, Spurs. Yeah, yeah, But it, what I was going to say was, I mean, I, you, you, everyone's mentioned St George's Park, and I think that's important because that is coming on stream. It's coming on stream uh, imminently, and that is that is a huge part of what the FA are looking at going going forward. I had a tour around it a few weeks ago. I know loads of people have. Uh, as a little aside, by the way, the new um, the room in the complex that the England manager will be uh, will be staying in. They were everyone on the camp nicknamed that Harry's room, which is kind of just a little sort of uh, you know funny little thing about about what they thought might happen. But going forward, is Harry Redknapp the kind of man who's going to? preside over a seminar of coaches, for example, at St. George's Park. Now, I, I, I might be doing the man a gross uh, injustice, but I can't see that. I can see Roy Hodgson doing that. I can see him um, being involved in all of that root and branch thing. Now, the England first team, of course, is the, absolutely the, the standard bearer for the whole thing. and It's vitally important that they get the right man full stop. But... Um, they they do want the new man to to sort of buy into that whole philosophy, and and I can see Roy Hodgson, you know, I can see Roy Hodgson in a coaching seminar in Switzerland talking French to other coaches, talking about coaching licences. Now I'm not saying that's what I think is is the beal no, and end all. Cause but, I don't. But but, 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 but George, George, sorry, on this point though. Didn't they come on? Didn't they come on with this whole song and dance like three weeks ago about appointing a technical director who's going to do the seminars and run the coaching and speak French in Switzerland and all that jazz? Has this all gone out the window now? Because oh, I look, I, I, Roy Hodgson can I, do I, both. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't hear right. that. I mean, but what when you do say you didn't hear it when they talked about the technical director thing? No, I don't pay attention to anything, Gab. Why? On earth? I'm just doing this absolutely off the top of my head. Why would? <laughs> why, why, when have I ever given right, you no, any but, intimation no, that I did I, yeah, I didn't else. dream this though. This technical director stuff, right? I remember writing an article for this very newspaper about that. This this did happen, right? Three weeks ago, they announced they were going to go for the technical director. Well, they might have him as the manager first, and then, when he, you know, if it goes badly wrong in the Euros, they'll use him as a technical director Roy, after. It's Roy Hodgson, technical d- director, and Stuart Pearce, manager. It's the dream team. Surely everybody can see that. I think there's a lot of people in the media who've got a huge respect for Roy Hodgson, you know, and, and like him a lot. I, I think, the, for me... I think it's, it's, it's twofold. I think the, 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 they certainly, the, the people, you know, the journalists, the media guys, pundits, uh, wh- whoever, there's a lot of time for both of them, you know. And I, I just think there's one side downside to Roy's, the style of football. I think the fans on the street look at it as more adventurous with Harry and there are people in the media that do. And, you know, I always, would I go and see Roy Hodgson's team? I don't get inspired by watching them play. Uh, and that's not just at Liverpool or West Brom or Fulham. Uh, but I respect him hugely as a coach who produces sides that are, uh, are very difficult to beat nine times out of ten. Um, I just, just one side is that I just don't think that there's a, the man in the street really wants to see an England team be quite conservative. I think they've, they've had enough of that. And that's only my gut feeling. Alison, uh 
our boss, Tony Evans, came out and uh, basically made the point in his, in his column today that they're both bad options, um, but that Hodgson is a worse option than, uh, than Redknapp. Um, is that a view you share, ultimately, that these are two not very good options for the England team? No, I mean, n- n- given that the FA didn't do what I thought they should do, uh, the time, which was a point red uh, immediately, right? In a let's do it in the summer. Um, since, but since then, you know, Redknapp has had a, a serious heart surgery. He's had a, a very draining and public court case, and he's seen his uh, club side falter, and there are rumours of you know losing the dressing room and so on. And so, right now. Today, Redknapp looks a far less um, attractive option. He looks a, a tired man who could probably do with a sabbatical, not taking the England job. Whereas Roy Hodgson, in his uh, favour, is although he's um, <coughs> mid sixties, his energy and enthusiasm for football is really quite phenomenal. He's, he speaks oh, yeah, five he's languages. Infectious. He's intelligent, and above all else, he's an Englishman who regards it as his duty and the ultimate honour. And he's always hankered after it to be to being the manager. And I, I think. In some ways, those those are qualities we ought to embrace. All right, time now for some quick hits. Harry Redknapp hinted ahead of Spurs' 2-0 win over Blackburn that Gareth Bale and Luka Modric might have their heads turned in this summer. I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. But, Alison, if you were Daniel Levy and there was a gun to your head, which of the two would you sacrifice? The tall, handsome Welshman or the short, <laughs> stubby Croatian? Uh... It's close, but on balance, I'd sacrifice Modric, uh, who's been a little flaky about commitment anyway. I feel Bale would just be a bigger loss to the club in terms of what he means to them and the fans and the style of play. And if they're in Europe, he he really does make opposition European defences tremble. So I'd keep Bale and cash in on Modric. Bolton battle their way to a 2-2 draw at Sunderland. Um, George, you were there. Uh, you've waxed lyrical about Kevin Davies in the past, and in particular, I believe, about his buttocks. Um, give me three positives that make you believe Bolton are staying up. I'm going to have to very quickly tell that story, otherwise I'm going to get in trouble. But yes, Bolton were at Newcastle a few weeks ago. It was a terrible game until Ben Arthur scored that wonderful goal. I indulged in some creative writing on Twitter, talked about Kevin Davis breaking into a jog, his buttocks quivering. I got an outraged tweet from none other than Emma Davis, Kevin's wife, informing me that Kevin's buttocks have never quivered and, in fact, are made of rock in capital letters. Um, So I've been very nice about Kevin Davis ever since. The reason I think they'll stay up is that they're actually playing some decent stuff. They've got some momentum behind them. Other teams are playing really badly. They have a game in hand. And, of course, they've got Kevin Davis's tectonic-like, titanic-plated buttocks. There you go. I asked for three reasons. He gave me four. Brilliant. That's what you get with George Culkin. A hard-fought point for Arsenal at Stoke. Cats looking at their running. They're pretty much Seals Champions League football, right? And also, do you think this ugliness with Ramsey and Shawcross, and yes, I am blaming to some degree both sets of fans, uh, will end in the foreseeable future? Or do you, either or both of these people need to re- retire? Um, hopefully, um, I can't see it going on. I, I didn't think it was as bad as um, what was been put by the media. And I, I don't know. I just, I just look at it. I mean, 
the lads had a serious injury. Both managers are uncomfortable with it. I th- I'm sure the players have moved on. Uh, and by next year, I don't think you'll hear a murmur. I hope so. And as for Arsenal, yep, guaranteed fourth now. Well, we're top four for me. Um, and in, in an amazing season. Just so so many troughs and, you know, the dips have just been incredible. And then they've just bounced back. So Arsenal doing what they're always good at is finding uh, the start and the end of the season is really good. Luis Suarez scores a hat-trick as Liverpool flat Norwich 3-0. Alisson, it's a great day, isn't it? But why can't he do this every week? And also, if he'd been playing like this all season long, where would Liverpool be? How many dozens of points of a lead at the top of the table would they have? Oh, many dozens. Um, well, he doesn't do it every week because he doesn't come across defences as tired and naive as that. Uh, Norwich defence was every week um, also his style of play has been for Liverpool traditionally more he opens it up and allows other people in to score I mean they hit the post but that's been the the way he sort of he creates the space for someone else because his his close control is, is amazing um, and uh, if there hadn't been the horrible um, uh a racism row I think uh, he'd have reached this point much earlier in his Liverpool career that obviously uh, was debilitating and yes Liverpool would be much higher up in the league if he'd been on this form for longer evidently he, top four they've, they've not they've not been putting away chances Liverpool and they needed someone top four oh absolutely top two absolutely. Suarez, I mean the, the sad thing about the hat trick which I wrote in the paper today is it just reminded you that Suarez actually was on course to be the player of the season this this is this is the man who was lighting up the Premier League and it all went wrong Robin he's a Van phenomenal Percy. player thanks you for recognising no, his would, achievements this been. year he would have been um, a question for you Pep Guardiola won't be back as Barcelona manager next season could you please put his achievements in context yeah I think um, this four year uh, stint which he won uh, 13 trophies including three Champions League titles and sorry, including two Champions League titles and three Liga titles and possibly another um, another Copa del Rey um, is probably as good a stint as any four years of any manager in the history of football has has ever had. Um, he he didn't just play phenomenal football and, and break records. He also very much cemented the Barcelona brand and a certain philosophy of playing. He was a perfect salesman for that. Um, I think it's very difficult for people to dislike what was achieved there in those four years. And um, I find it fascinating that somebody would have the, the introspection to go and just, just walk away in that context and effectively take his sabbatical. And whether he returns and tries to do this somewhere else, I think that's one of the great imponderables of football, whether this could even be rebuilt somewhere else. If he ever manages to to have another four-year like that, uh, four-year stint like that somewhere else, then I think he will definitely be in the conversation as being the greatest ever. All right, enough yakking for this week. Uh, but before I let you go, a quick reminder that we're doing another live roadshow with me and some very, very special guests. It's going to be at the Freemasons Arms. It's right near Covent Garden in the heart of London. It's going to be on May 29th from 7 p.m. And you can book your tickets at www.timestickets.co.uk or you can call 0871-620-4025. And it only costs £7.50 per person. Hope to see you all there. Now, you can go to thetimes.co.uk for all your news, your gossip, your analysis. You can follow us all on Twitter. We're pretty much all on there, uh, except for you, Cass, right? Your yeah, Twitter right. account's kind of dormant, yes? I'm not a tweeter. But um, Calkin the Times, a very, very funny account. I recommend you, uh, you drop in there. Uh, Till next week. Bye-bye. 
you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.